Hello everybody, welcome to Revolutionary Lumpen Radio with your host Shibby. We'll get into the recording with Tara and their interview in just a sec. But I just want to say if you did find this useful, please remember to support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash lumpenpodcast. You also get bonus access to certain material and you also get to ask our guests questions of your choosing for future upcoming interviews. Apart from that, you can find everything that we do at Linktree in the show notes. Linktree slash Rev Lumpen Radio. Here's the recording with Tyler. Thanks again for tuning in to Revolutionary Lumpen Radio. In this episode, we're joined by Comrade Tara, an organizer and activist, the self-described Palestinian woman from occupied Jerusalem and occupied Jaffa. Welcome to the pod, Tara. I'm very humbled to have you on. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, pleasure. So as always, you like to start off a show with a background question to get a sense of who we're talking to on the show here. So if you could just go into like as much detail as you'd be willing to share on your background, political activity, you know, any political tendency or ideology that you might subscribe to, that would go a long way before we jump into the subject matter. Thanks. Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, so my name is Tara. I'm a graduate student right now. I live in uh, Montreal, which is actually Geojage, and it's unceded Haudenosaunee territory. I I first started organizing. I mean, like you mentioned, I'm from occupied Jerusalem and occupied Diafa, but I lived in Jordan my entire life because that's where my family was exiled to in 1948. But I kind of started organizing and being and becoming really politically engaged when I came to university and was involved with basically campus organizing and that's what happens when you go to a university that's like extremely Zionist you kind of get like lumped into this whole thing and you're sort of forced to do something about it if you really care as far as politics I mean my old username on Twitter used to be Tara the commie so but now I changed it, so I would say I'm a communist. And yeah, I feel like my politics kind of center around Palestine um, as a national liberation struggle, and then everything sort of came out of that. That's quite a background compared to, like, obviously the average working class white person in Britain. You've never heard of their families get fucking exiled from a country to, like, another country. You know, what the hell is that about? What, what have you got to do to get exiled? What happened? What do you need to do to be exiled? Nothing except be Palestinian, <laughs> living in your homeland, living on Palestinian land. What happened basically was that our Zionists first started settling in Palestine in the early 1900s. And after the Nakba, which translates to catastrophe in Arabic in 1947-1948, my family, both sides of my family, um, became refugees essentially. They actually didn't go straight to Jordan. Most of them didn't go straight to Jordan. They came refugees in Egypt and then Lebanon, and then they ended up settling in Jordan. Because... Sorry to interrupt, just to give context. How were they getting about and traveling to all these places? Oh, um, part of it was, I mean, through land mostly. So either not, not walking, as far as I know. I don't remember my grandparents telling me stories about walking. Um, but mostly through land uh, with other refugees. 
and they would just cross the borders because, as you know, Lebanon is close to the northern side of Palestine. So Yaffa is kind of close to that. So that's where they ended up first. Uh, Gaza is close to Egypt. I don't have any family from Gaza, but my family ended up going from Lebanon to Egypt or back and forth. And then they ended up going to Jordan, which is closest to Jerusalem. So yeah, that's how they ended up there. And this is actually how we go back to Palestine to visit. Uh, we go through what we call the bridge through land. We drive from Jordan through the bridge to be able to enter into Palestine. Do Israel know that or do we need to cut that out? Oh, <laughs> I mean, um, they know it, they know it. Yeah, we're not sneaking in. We're going through their borders. <laughs> Yeah, no need to cut that out. Actually, I had a pretty, like, mild experience at the border the one time that I visited, but now I'm, I'm sort of expecting a worse experience because um, it's been a few years. So how many people do you think share that story that you've just told me with this, you know, exact same similar scenario? You know, Israel literally committing colonialism, taking land and then displacing the native population. Do you know many people who've gone through that? Personally? Personally, so many, because because I lived in Jordan, which is about more or less 50% Palestinian refugees that have been coming since 1947, essentially, but in big waves, hundreds of thousands of people in 1947, 1948, hundreds of thousands more people in 1967, which um, was another war. And people sort of come in waves. There were people coming during the first and the second intifada. People coming from Gaza still because of the blockade, if they managed to get through. But personally, I know many people. Um, but the actual number is now millions of Palestinians, ref Palestinian refugees, because I'm third generation Palestinian refugees. So, yeah. What do you think would happen to the people if the never fleed and they never become refugees and they decided that they were going to stay? Um, well, what's happening right now, which is just enduring ethnic cleansing and genocide and settler colonialism on the ground, whether you're living in the 1948 occupied territories, which are now known as Israel. So the Palestinian citizens that stayed in that area became essentially became Israeli citizens. And the Palestinians who didn't stay there, but stayed in occupied Jerusalem and the occupied West Bank and Gaza are not so-called Israeli citizens. But yeah, what you do is what, what would happen to the people who stayed there is just that you resist ethnic cleansing. Um, you're still under occupation. I mean, the entirety of Palestine is under military occupation. There are more than 4,500 political prisoners, hundreds of whom are children. If you end up in Gaza, which not many people know, the population of Gaza is refugees from the 1948 occupied territories that were fleeing during the 1947-1948 next day and ended up fleeing to Gaza and are now living in an open-air prison um, enduring a blockade that's been going on for about seven, 17 years, an air, land, and sea blockade. So yeah, the people who ended up leaving, or not leaving, that's the wrong word, <laughs> the people who ended up being displaced and dispossessed are, you know, resisting the ethnic cleansing, but in a very different way than the people who are on the ground.
Oh, hell no. I know. Just to wrap your head around that, I mean, so most of our listeners, I mean, we get listeners, like, internationally, but, like, most of our listeners are, like, obviously in the Imperial Corps, and, you know, when you're in the Imperial Corps, you're born in, like, a, I was born in, like, the Women's Hospital in Liverpool, people are just born in fucking hospitals, obviously, free healthcare, all of that, Um, you also, and you also have got baby milk or baby formula or we can have breast milk you know there's always food there for the kids we could, we've always got uh, tap water there we've always got a roof over our heads um, we don't have checkpoints um but you know the palestinians pretty sure it's like 97 percent of all the water is not drinkable in palestine um, as for the hospitals, you can have hospitals, but they do actually get fucking bombed by Israel still. Um, as for the education, again, it's just what what the fuck do you do with all this going on? Right. You know what I'm saying? It's like they're constantly resisting, and, and it burns me cap out that like people in the Imperial Corps, like you know, wave Palestinian flags and not, but maybe not properly comprehend the trauma and the devastation that actually takes place. So. You know, thanks for coming on to just try and, you know, give people a, a more realistic impression of what's actually taking place. And it goes a lot further with your voice rather than mine, obviously. <laughs> no, of course. Thanks for inviting me. I mean, the situation that you described about, you know, not having clean drinking water, not having your hospitals like bombed by the occupation, lacking like supplies that are necessary for life. What I think is that this has been the situation in Gaza because of the blockade. But the people of Gaza have become, you know, even though they are living in this open air prison, um, and I feel like that's like an understatement to call it an open air prison, but they are the nucleus of resistance in Palestine in the way that they're steadfast in their resistance. Especially in Gaza, there's a high literacy rate. We have people who are educated, there are universities, there are all of these things, but you know, what's, what's the larger context of that? It's that they're living in an open-air prison that's being bombed every few years uh, when the occupation feels like they want to conduct a massacre because they want to win an election or because there was retaliation from resistance in the West Bank or because there was, for example, an operation from Jenin, um, an operation inside the 1948 territories. And so even though they go through all of this, even though they're resisting those massacres, even though they're being killed by, by the occupation, they're still living, which I think is, you know, one of the most important things that we need to remember is how they're how steadfast they are in their resistance primarily through living and then obviously we know that the center of palestinian armed resistance is in in Gaza, um the armed resistance groups that also have factions in the occupied west bank holy shit whoa uh, yeah, there is a lot. Just their resistance to just staying alive is just mind-blowing to me. But yeah, obviously true. As for it's maybe not being the right word as an open-air prison, it unquestionably is a test of ground for some of the largest uh, arms manufacturers on the planet. And as we talk about, you know, British and US imperialism, I mean, that, you know, Israel's essentially just like 
after World War II, it seems like America and Britain just said, you know what, we want a permanent military base in the Middle East, the Jews want a homeland, why don't we give them that? And then we can just use that as a base for US and British imperialism. So they facilitated that for Israel in the form of hundreds of billions, maybe even trillions of pounds or dollars in development. And what you see is obviously colonialism taking place, you know, the ethnic... Uh, cleansing which uh, again all these words don't do it justice it's literally murdering like innocent people and traumatizing them until they eventually do get killed like i think it's 50 percent of the population in palestine's kids and i think it's like like 91 percent of them like all want to fucking die or some shit like they're fucking terrified they've got like ptsd and and they're not even like four years old the four wars old yeah. you know what i'm saying it's fucked yeah, so it's a very, I mean, it's a very different just way of living compared to how, even how I lived um, as a Palestinian in exile just a few kilometers away in Jordan. I wanted to talk more about the the Imperial Corps and Britain's and the U.S.'s involvement. So you're right, it is a permanent military base in um, in the Levant. Like, this is one of their their goals that essentially now has been achieved but zionism as an ideology um came which 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 this is analysis that comes from a syrian palestinian scholar called Fayez Sayer, and he wrote um, a book about zionist colonialism but zionism came as a response to rising anti-semitism in Europe to essentially Jews being persecuted in Europe. And it was very unpopular at first because it was very honest um, in the way that it's a settler colonial ideology that is meant to create an ethnostate. Not necessarily in Palestine, there were other states, other lands that were sort of like on their roster of colonization. Um, and they ended up choosing Palestine because the angle of the Holy Land and religious ties is a very strategic, it's a very strategic way to co-opt religion as like, as a vessel for settler colonialism. And so that's how it started in the late 1800s. And you can see very clearly that Britain and the US saw this as an opportunity to plant themselves in the region. Um, we know that Palestine before Zionist colonialism or before like 1948 was a British mandate. And we also know that um, in 1917, a declaration was signed, the Balfour Decla Declaration, which basically came from Britain saying, yes, yes, European Jews deserve a homeland. And we believe that this homeland is Palestine. And so it is their eternal, eternal right to live in that land. And that's how these settlements started. They started in the late 1800s and they just progressively became more and more popular with rising anti-Semitism in Europe, but also with people realizing that their class and social interests lie in colonizing Palestinian land just through these connections with the Imperial Corps. You know, all of this, all of this happened, and this is how Zionist nation-building began. Nation-building as a product of establishing an ethnostate. And so when we think of Zionism, it's really important to think about it as an ethnic self-segregation ideology. 
these colonizers are coming from a land to occupy another land and to then displace the native population and segregate the, segregate themselves from the native population. And this is happening now, even when we're talking about the 1948 occupied territories. And that's what's really frustrating about when people say that the occupation has been going on for five decades. No, it, the occupation has been going on for almost 75 years now. Even if you're um, a so-called Israeli citizen, but you're a Palestinian living in that land, you're still experiencing that, that ethnic self-segregation. They're just way more strategic about it. For example, just a very small example, Palestinians living in those areas are have their own neighborhoods that are usually not as um, affluent as other neighborhoods. Palestinians in those areas don't have their own daycare facilities. You know, for every, I don't know, dozens of so-called Israeli daycares, there's just a few Palestinian daycare facilities, and so mothers are forced to take care of their children while the, the fathers are forced to provide for the family. And so you end up in this cycle of just repression and ethnic cleansing and just a, an effort to completely erase your Palestinian identity. So it's not just about those checkpoints. It's also about those people living in the 1948 occupied territories who are also resisting ethnic cleansing. For example, one of the main things that, that Zionist propagandists do is that they call Palestinians living in the 1948 occupied territories Arabs. But we're not, they're not Arabs, they're Palestinian. And that's just one of the ways to erase Palestinian presence on the land. And so they say that this is, that the Arabs and the Jews live together on that land. But, you know, we all know that those people are Palestinian. And we all know that it's not a conflict between Arabs and Jews or between Muslims and Jews. Um, and so all of this is just a way to distort the reality of what's going on on the ground, which is that a genocidal settler colonial ethnostate is being established on Palestinian land from the river to the sea, um, not just after the 1967 borders, not just before the 1967 borders. All of historic Palestine is occupied, and all of the Palestinian people living in Palestine are occupied people. And all of the Palestinian people who have been forced to leave Palestine are Palestinians living in exile. They're refugees that are refused the right to return. All of my grandparents, they all died. They all died in exile. They all died as refugees. They were never able to go back home. And so, yeah, I don't know. I went on a tangent. Now I don't know how I started this. Like... <laughs> Thank you for that contribution there. I mean, we've heard a lot about what goes on in Palestine. Obviously, if people want to see what that looks like, it does literally just look like fucking people being shot dead while they're fleeing away, teens, kids and it doesn't matter and and you say that everybody knows it's not just our Arabs versus Jews but I remember when I, when I was like maybe 16 or 17 or something and um, I actually watched Don't Mess the Zohan have you ever seen that? I have heard about it never watched it though. and like that had me convinced that it was just a bunch of thousand-year war between, like, Israelis and Arabs, and they're all just throwing shit at each other on the opposite end of, end of the street, and then this, and then fucking Adam, and then Adam Sandler, who's a fucking you know Jewish, he comes along in the middle of them, and he's like, no, let's just get, all get along and that. But I mean, like, that's that's the propaganda that they put out, and it just to make it say that it's just like 
It's all just religious people, all just with opposite religions, and that's all it is. When, you know, if you look into actual, the, the government's own legislation, you know, that Balfour Declaration, for example, you know full well that the new Palestinians was there, they knew full well that they'd resist. What the fuck, you know what I mean? And then everything else is just bullshit propaganda. And it's a kind of propaganda that, like, Zionists, even Zionists, like, believe, you know, some, some Zionists, like, believe their own, their own fucking fascist bullshit and um, I mean well I guess they all do yeah yeah thanks for clarifying that and we've heard so much about the resistance like within Palestine uh, the people you know becoming martyrs like obviously I'll ask you a question now and this is gonna be like another tough one really because it's the kind of question where if everybody had an answer for it would all be doing it hopefully and that would be like it would genuinely be a mistake for me to not actually ask it from like somebody Palestinian background, family, and tied so close to the heart, to the land. In your mind and your experience, do you think that the people of the Imperial Corps are doing enough? Um, especially when so much of the terror actually comes from the Imperial Corps to facilitate uh, the Palestinian ethnic cleansing. How do you feel about the support that you see from over here? Do you think that there's anything that the people of the Imperial Corps could do or improve on in supporting the Palestinian resistance? Yeah, that is a loaded question. Um, <laughs> are the people of the Imperial Corps doing enough? As long as the Imperial Corps exists, then the people who are in the Imperial Corps benefiting from the Imperial Corps and all the, the suffering and terror that is, that, is, um, that is happening at the hands of the Imperial Corps, I think we can say that not enough is being done. But that has a lot to do with everything you mentioned about propaganda, right? And so, first of all, recognizing that you have been inundated with this propaganda. Even me, even me living in Jordan, which is a very close ally with the United States um, and has been essentially slowly but surely normalizing with the occupation, for example, by doing a gas deal with the occupation and now building a gate between Jordanian and Palestinian borders, even me living there, there was a lot of propaganda for me to get over, right? And so being in the Imperial Corps, the first thing that needs to happen is acknowledgement of that propaganda. And also acknowledgement of what I just said, which is as long as the Imperial Corps exists, then people in the Imperial Corps who are the main beneficiaries of um, the existence of imperialism, then not enough is being done. But all of that being said, for me, direct action is the best way to combat the Imperial Corps, you know, atrocities. Um, like you said, um, you mentioned at some point that Hazda is like a testing ground for all of these weapons uh, that are manufactured in by UK corporations or by American corporations or Canadian corporations. The Imperial Corps is producing these weapons and is producing that death and is producing the maiming of Palestinians and other people in the global south. Um, it's not just Palestinians. And so having that be the primary target, you know, protests are amazing, right? Like, it's a good boost for the morale to see everyone on the ground. Uh, you see people, you're like, oh, wow, like, there's actually so much support. But then what are you doing after that? Are you just going home? 
posting a few pictures on Instagram with the Palestinian flag or with your signs? Or are you actually doing something um, to achieve what you're chanting in the protests, right? Like people are saying Palestine will be free from the river to the sea, or people are saying, you know, end the occupation. Well, how are you going to end the occupation? The Imperial Corps is the primary the primary force behind that occupation. You go and shut those weapons factories down, for example. I would even say you skip all of those legislative things, you skip all of those electoral politics things, you skip all of those trying to implement, you know, pro-Palestine people into politics, for example, like Rashida Tlaib or all of those Palestinians that have, like, made it into the U.S. Congress somehow. I would say skip all of that and go to the source of the source of you know all the suffering and so i see like you have joint palestine action behind you <laughs> joint palestine action like do something exactly dismantle the war machine shut albert down that's like that's real material you know that has a material effect on what's going on in the ground if you're shutting an entire weapons factory down then who's sending those weapons from that factory those weapons are just not being sent, period. And so, yeah, I feel like that's the first step in starting to do enough. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, you're the communist, you know, but a bit of Marxist, aren't you? So, you know, the critique's not all bad, you know, critique's good. That's what we want. If we are to take yeah. politics and development and progress seriously, we absolutely have to critique each other in our practice and learn from that. If we're going to get, I mean, we're listening to fucking Palestinian. You know what I mean? You're getting told, look, we love your protest. It shows a lot of support. Get you a load of um, social capital and likes on social media and social validation. But guess what? It doesn't actually do any material difference to the people in Palestine. And, you know, obviously, and it comes down to like, like propaganda again, basically, because you've got like the old guard, communist organizations, or just like, you know, or sort of progressive people in the United Kingdom or the US. And that's all I've ever known. Protests, that's all I've ever known. Handing out flyers, that's all I've ever known. Uh, inviting people to a film show to learn about something and then go home and then intellectually masturbate about it. That's all I've known. Um, but that is not enough. Obviously, it's not enough because it continues to fucking happen, doesn't it? And it doesn't even continue to fucking slow down. I mean, again, at the same time, I'm open to criticism here because, like, only history can tell in it what the, what the correct practice is and what isn't good enough. But I'm just looking at the old guard, the people who were protesting 10, 20, 30, 40 years before me. What have they accomplished? Nothing. Um, because I'm, I'm looking at all this going on and I see Palestine action uh, coming about and Palestine action saying the same thing. It's not enough. The, these protests aren't enough. This is something I've said as a communist anyway, as a revolutionary. He wants to burn down this whole imperial core motherfucker. I'll burn this to the ground. I'll, I'll be out there as a guerrilla killing <laughs> state forces, but nobody's fucking ready. Nobody game to do it with me so i had to join palestine action it was like my only fucking option to not want to kill myself because like it's fucking disgusting this planet do you know what i mean it's disgusting and like i, I can't 
like that privilege isn't enough do you know what i mean obviously i grew up in fucking poverty and all that so that helped radicalize me i wasn't like uh, paid off with like uh, like fucking consumer products and all that shit what can i say i fucking hate this fucking imperial core do, i mean how much does do other people hate it how much do our listeners really hate the imperial core and what the imperial core facilitates and for me i believe that palestine is like the last fucking hope of humanity to survive against fucking capitalism and imperialism because if, if palestine goes if palestine literally goes it all ends up fucking israel or they end up with a fucking palestinian zoo so the fucking zionists can look at the palestinians just like they looked at fucking black people in fucking belgium in 1948 with fucking human zoos like if palestine goes what the fuck is the point in any of us being here for what are we, like why are we just gonna live to be wage slaves are we just gonna live uh, not just to be wage slaves but be wage slaves at the expense of the suffering in the global south of the murders and poverty and everything and all that are like i mean how how are people not like like as mad as i am you know like i'm disgusted at um and I, I'm, I'm honestly get mad calling myself a marxist and a communist sometimes when so many marxists and communists are doing these protests and shit and i see them on the fucking instagram and that and i'm like what the fuck are you doing do you know what i mean like do something more um so i joined palestine action because 85 because it, it, like elbit systems is israel's largest and number one supplier of weapons and they've got tens or they had 10 sites around the uk palestine auction shut down too with specific direct action that is like telling the forces that be no it's like instead of asking the forces that be to dig us a well it's like saying we're gonna dig a well and we dare use to stop us so i mean hundreds of activists yeah have um, went up and dismantled their arms machines, like smashed up these buildings. I personally smashed up UAV drone engines, um, just shut down a factory for over three weeks, done other operations that I'm not even at liberty to fucking say. But I'm telling mm-hmm. you now, like, I'm ready to take this fucking Albert Systems down to the fucking ground. And I've got a fucking son there, yeah? Anybody who's a communist or a socialist, yeah? You and, and you have kids, and your kids grow up, and then they look at your political activism, and then look at you now. And you're just a fucking working class imperial core motherfucker with bills who's not taken any risk, who's brought about no social change. How could you live with yourself and call yourself a socialist, a communist, a revolutionary or nothing? You know what I'm saying? I mean, honestly, if I was a Palestinian, I'd have fucking been martyred by now, I'm telling you now. I've got to cook, I've got to go back to the police station on the 25th in four days and find out if I'm being arrested or not. So, um... I mean, I went off on a tangent there, but what can I say, Tyler? Like, all I am is just somebody over here just trying to get people to actually have a fucking heart. Do you know what I'm saying? And to actually care and to just be absolutely furious and, like, what the fuck else can I do? Yeah. Um, Well, I can tell you that, you know, you were saying, like, if Palestine goes or... But the people in Palestine don't think that Palestine will go. And, you know, that is what we should always keep in mind. People in Palestine, people enduring that genocide, people enduring the genocide, people enduring ethnic cleansing, all of that, they don't think that Palestine will go. They they believe that Palestine will be liberated. My grandparents, they believed that Palestine was going to be liberated. My parents do also. Um, and I also do. And the people on the ground do. And so we need to keep that hope alive outside of Palestine for Palestinians in exile. And you also need to keep that as the main, as your purpose, if if you're trying to be as involved as you are um, 
in, in the imperial court. You know, like, Palestine will not go. Um, Palestine will not go. Palestine lives on. In, in exile, Palestine lives on through Palestinian refugees, through what we do for, for Palestinian organizing, for Palestinian liberation. Um, Palestine lives on through our grandparents telling us stories. Like, my grandpa was older than 25 when he was exiled. He was older than me when he was exiled. Um, he, has, he had lived an entire life and was exiled from his homeland and refused the, the right to return. And so Palestine, li Palestine lived on through him and he passed it on to his children and his grandchildren. And that's what, you know, we're gonna keep going. We're gonna keep doing until Palestine is free, regardless of how long it takes, hopefully within our li lifetime. And I can say that, you know, the political engagement and um, the readiness that I'm seeing specifically in the UK to be, you know, as engaged on the ground um, as the people of Palestine action, like, it makes me feel good. Not good, but it makes me feel like, you know, there's hope that people in the Imperial Corps actually care enough to put themselves through, you know, all of that to shut down an arms factory. Um, and so imagine, you know, with educating the masses, with talking to people, with getting people involved, getting people engaged with revolutionary politics, all of that. Imagine what we can do in this part of the world. Um, if people in Gaza, who, like we, we've mentioned several times, are living in an open-air prison under a 17-year-long air, land, and sea blockade, are forming resistance groups that are penetrating the occupation's Iron Dome, which is funded by billions of US dollars, if they're able to do that, living in an open-air prison, then we should be able to do way more than that, living in the Imperial Corps. And, you know, having the freedom of direct action, like the freedom to, to access to direct action, access to groups like Palestine Action. And so I would love to see more groups like Palestine Action um, coming out here, like on this in, in, in North America, on Turtle Island, because for me, like that is, that is the only way forward. And like we both said, protests can't be enough. It shouldn't be enough. Protests are just one one of the things that we can do, one of the tools that we can use to radicalize people around us, to let people know about what's going on in Palestine. Just like podcasts are, you know, one of the tools that we can do, we can use for, you know, attempting to educate people, attempting to talk about this, attempting to spread revolutionary politics. But at the end of the day, if there's no direct action, then what are we doing? We're just, you know, talking. <laughs> if that's if if we're not doing any direct action, then we're just talking and we're being intellectuals and talking about what we read and all of these Marxist texts and whatever. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, even Lenin himself said that like protests aren't particularly revolutionary. Protests are a method of like measuring um, and counting, you know, how much support we've got, and then also showing the state how much support we've got. But that's again just in terms of saying who's on the side. Let's find. Out. But now that you find out how many people are going to show up, then do something with that. And this is a form of direct action. The only protest that I truly support and love at the minute as a form of progress are the protests directly outside 
Elbert System sites in the UK or other um, weapons manufacturing sites specifically because it does fucking in- inhibit the operations. It does get the managers, keep the managers on their toes. And yeah, podcasts are another way. Um, a lot of podcasts, again, are just for that fucking social clout as well. Um, but a lot of them can be extremely uh, resourceful for people who are obviously wage saves and if they can listen to some education passively that's good um yeah. i revolutionary lumpen radio is obviously agitation propaganda i want to agitate the life out of like these marxists until it goes in towards the revolution so and that's why that's why i'm so mad Tara. I, i'm not so mad at everybody in the uk i'm i'm mad at like marxist revolutionaries communists who have even work within the past who aren't on board with Palestine action because as a Marxist you should be an international I mean you're talking about like and it ties into what what I said about um, Palestine being like humanity's last resistance because to me it is like if we do let Palestine fall then they're gonna let their own state fall on them these people don't give a shit like we have to free Palestine as in to know for a fact that we can free every other fucking country and nation the way i see it you've obviously seen that graph or the or the few images where it shows palestine in like 1943 or something and then 1947 and then you see uh palestine's territory shrink you've seen you've seen a photo people have seen those photos and then the next one is up to us how much of, of Palestine's gonna go because I know that from the Nakba, uh, Israel would have just taken all of Palestine in one day if it could have it would have took it all in one year if it could have but it's had to slowly make incremental land grabs stop international backlash I think um, so it's had to slowly do this slowly take land and it is up to us to resist in the imperial court to be louder and in that way there's more eyes on, on Israel so they can't just so they can't just like uninhibitedly continue to take land without like international resistance Resistance. So I do think that it is up to us to obviously, if you've got arms factories in your country, join Palestine Action will give you sledgehammers, crowbars, and will give you everything you need to bring that place down. Um, and what's why not? Do you know what I'm saying? Why not? Hmm. How can you live with yourself if you don't? Uh, are the questions that um, if anybody wants to be a guest on the show and tell me why they don't do any of this, you know more than welcome however it won't look very good on you but again for marxist specifically i do say if you don't do this stop calling yourself a marxist because it makes the rest of us look bad i mean like one of the craziest things is that there's a communist party there um of colonizers like like colonizers have formed they they have their own communist party and they do these like protests and one of the, I think, most disappointing things is that there's a lot of Palestinians who are high up in that party, and even Palestinians inside the 1948 territories who are engaging with, with the occupations, like electoral politics too. Palestinians that have formed the Palestinian Authority signed the Oslo Accords to form the Palestinian Authority that facilitate those incremental, like, systematic land grabs that you're talking about. Um, 
And so they need to go down too. People, it's true when people say that Palestinians on the ground are resisting two occupations. There is the Zionist occupation, and then there's also the Palestinian Authority that's collaborating openly with the occupation and but and benefiting like that's where their class and social interests lie in collaborating with the occupation and so the pa also needs to go down with the zionist entity because it's only an extension of it yeah that's an interesting point and also you know historical historically the case that there's every time there's somebody being colonized there's also you know natives who are help facilitate another class of it right you know Anon wrote about this, even Mao wrote about this. Mao wrote about the comprador class and how it's um, a section of the bourgeoisie that ends up just working for the imperialists, working for the colonizers. Um, and that's essentially what the Oslo Accords were in the 90s. Um, where Palestinians who are who have who ended up forming the PA like Yasser Arafat were colluding at first with the occupation, so secret collaborations, secret negotiations, just negotiating land um, and negotiating ethnic cleansing and negotiating genocide, eventually to sign the Oslo Accords, which formed the Palestinian Authority, which not many people know was only supposed to last five years. And now it's been almost 30 years. The Palestinian Authority has been in control of the occupied West Bank. Of course, I mean, even when they do elections, they don't do elections last time, they didn't do elections, but even when they do elections, who's going to end up, you know, working for the Palestinian Authority except people who are benefiting from the Palestinian Authority's presence? People of that comprador class who are benefiting from, first of all, they're part of the bourgeoisie, so they're benefiting from exploiting the Palestinian working class and peasantry, but they're also benefiting from the occupation's presence on Palestinian land. They're facilitating annexation of um, the occupied West Bank. They're facilitating the military occupation of the, of the, of the occupied West Bank. They're sharing um, addresses and maps and the names of Palestinian organizers. I mean, why, why does the Palestinian Authority have the same people on their like, hit list or the people they want to arrest as the occupation? There's no reason other than those people are a threat to the Palestinian Authority because they're a threat to the occupation. I mean, last summer, the Palestinian Authority assassinated one of the biggest and, you know, most, like, radical organizers in, in, in the occupied West Bank, Nizar Banat, who was openly critical of the Palestinian Authority. He was just assassinated. And there's no reason to assassinate someone who is critical of a regime, of a puppet regime, that works for the occupation other than you want that puppet regime to sustain itself, to keep existing, because you benefit from it, and you benefit from the occupation, you benefit from the genocide. Um, and so you facilitate it. You facilitate it at, you know, at whatever cost, because of, your, because of where your social and class interests lie. You know, they lie with the imperial court's interests and with the occupation's interests. Yeah, very interesting. What class was that? The Commodore class? The Comprador class, um, which, uh, yeah, which Mao talks about. Um, so basically a section of the bourgeoisie that ends up essentially selling out the national liberation struggle um, mm. for their own class and social interests uh, by serving the imperialist colonizers and occupiers.
Interesting. Yeah, I'll have to do more research on that. It reminds me of when Malcolm X described the house slave, if you recall that speech. Yes, Malcolm X does talk a lot about about people who are, you know, oppressed, people who are oppressed by the U.S., by the imperial court, who end up taking that oppression, finding out a way to benefit from that oppression and siding with the imperialists, siding with the oppressor. And speaking of propaganda, this is one of the things that we're, that we are inundated with, that Palestinians even are inundated with, that the Palestinian Authority is, you know, the only reason that a Palestinian state even exists. I mean, even when you look at now articles or reports about the Palestinian president, Mahmoud Abbas, they don't call him president. They call him leader of the Palestinian Authority. There's no such thing as Palestinian Authority is the only reason that a Palestinian state exists. Palestinian Authority's only function is to act as a distraction and to act as a lapdog of, of the Zionist occupation. Um, and that's what they're doing. Tara, thanks so much. We've brought out a lot. I think we've both struggled to formulate what we've got in our mind. But again, these are things that like we're struggling with ourselves because we don't have a whole lot of resources. How does somebody from the Imperial Corps, as somebody with a Palestinian background, what can we do? I've never really seen that. Uh, hopefully it shows that we are trying to constantly push things to new places and, and attempt new ways to reach people, educate people, agitate them and bring them into the struggle. However, I think we've only got like one or two more questions, so it won't keep you much longer. But I would like to ask you one very much on the fly. If you don't know, just say, you know, I don't know. Um, because I got asked this question, I think I responded, talked for like five minutes, and then in the end was like, yeah, I don't know. I'm just going to have to think about it. And, and as soon as I know, I'll get back to you. But it was a really really fucking interesting question and something i've thought about since i was wondering whether you'd be able to help me develop it and answer for the comrade uh, because i still haven't given them one um, it was actually when i was getting one of my reaction interviews taken for palestine action and then um, i stood there with all the gear on my fucking hammer and all that just ready and then i got asked this question and blew me mind because i that's when i made the connection between my privilege being in the Imperial Corps and my privilege also being able to save Palestine in action and then, you know, the differences in the conditions between growing up in Imperial Corps and Palestine, for example. And then they asked me, they said, can you talk about the connections between the colonisation that's happened in Britain um, and how it's currently taken place in Palestine? So that is to say, would you say that... In a way, British land has already been colonised by kings, queens, lords. They've already took all the land. We don't own any land. We're born landless. We're born without property. Propertyless. We're born without any of these things. They're already taken. They're already colonised. If we want water, yeah, it's there. But obviously, we've got to pay because it's all privatised. Everything's fucking privatised in the UK. However, is it like that in Palestine? Or are we seeing what has taken place on Britain through feudalism or capitalism only now get to Palestine and then try and convert that land into like the capitalist state that we have in the imperial core? Do you kind of see that taking place or is he just like that too far away of a connection? I think I, I, think I understand. Uh, maybe I, I think I might do the same thing you did, which is talk for five minutes and then be like, you know what, I don't know, remove all of that. <laughs> but... 
but I'm gonna try to think through it. Um, I think I understand what you're trying to say, but I think for Palestine specifically, the objective of those land grabs, the objective of annexation, the objective of you know stealing that land and dispossessing and displacing people is at the end the formation of an ethnostate, of a self-segregated ethnostate that is a Jewish supremacist ethnostate. Um, at all costs. That is the objective. And there are other reasons to benefit from that, which is, you know, the connection to the imperial core, the connection of the imperial core to the, the Middle East, the Levant, like having a military base there, having um, even capital interest in that land. But there are very different reasons why that land is being taken and occupied and, you know, all of those things. But I understand your question correctly. Given that Palestine was colonized by the British before the Zionist uh, occupation, and also given that even back then, there was a section of the Palestinian bourgeoisie which was collaborating with the British to facilitate that you know, colonization. There was a section of the Palestinian bourgeoisie that was um, sabotaging the, gen the strike that happened between 1936 and 1939, where Palestinians went on a general strike basically to resist the economic conditions that they were forced to endure because of British colonialism. There were Palestinians back then who were you know, basically doing what the PA is doing right now, sabotaging that because they don't have an interest in liberation from colonialism. And so I don't think that that would be something that we're seeing now. I think that was that that was something that has always existed with the presence of the imperial core in the region, not just in Palestine. I mean, Jordan was also colonized by the British. Lebanon was colonized by the French. So yeah, I don't know if I answered your question, but it is a very interesting question that I need to think about. Um. Yeah, thank, thank you very much. Um, again, it all brings out real context, because um, if, if I just had these thoughts within mind and kept them in my mind, I'd probably just come out like delusions, so I've got to share them with somebody so that they can like, uh, moderate me on it. That's what we all need to do, um, yeah. to bring people into struggle. Um, part of it is, you know, talking through the contradictions, mm -hmm. criticism, self-criticism, all of that um, is how you bring people into struggle. So I think the whole point why they asked me was to try and um, tell the people who would watch the video just, just to try and connect what they experience here with what they experience there. Obviously, that's going to be near impossible. I'm not a poet, um, so <laughs> I'm not going to come close. <laughs> Right. There are different conditions. They are different conditions where, you know, the main, I would say, like, the main purpose of, you know, the presence of the royal family or whatever is capital interest. And the main purpose of the Zionist entity is, along with capital interest, it's the formation of this ethnostate. And so they're just different, different goals that are sort of sometimes, sometimes, not all the time, achieved in similar ways. Of course, we're not talking about ethnic cleansing, and like in the UK, you know, on British land by British people. But yeah, yeah. we can definitely draw parallels between the way that, that people are oppressed. Definitely. We don't have ethnic cleansing over here. We do have social media. But obviously, if like there wasn't an international community, Britain would, would commit like just, just kill all the peasants and fucking hang them and all that like they would. But yeah. this international community and the fucking UN and all that kind of slows them down from doing that shit because these imperial bourgeoisie are always competing with each other on the international stage as to like who's the most progressive and, and all that bullshit but it doesn't actually mean anything 
Um, the UN, the UN is going down with the Imperial Corps. I think that's what we need to remember. <laughs> well, he hasn't even got like an army or anything to enforce anything. It's just like yeah. words, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh no, it's the UN has got like an army, hasn't it? It's got like them blue helmets. I think I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking of like the Human Rights Council or something. I feel like it might be like white helmets or something, but you know, at the end of the day, the UN is also just a way to slow everything down, not to stop everything, not to find a solution from the ground up to to to, to destroy all of these systems of oppression. At the end of the day, all they do is slow them down. But yeah. Yep. Okay. So I don't know whether you've covered this one. You could just say Palestine action. You could just leave this one out. But mm-hmm. what groups can you vouch for as doing the right thing, as doing the right work in the UK and US, so that we can go and support or replicate what they do in solidarity with the Palestinian resistance? Um, in the UK, Palestine action. One of the best examples of direct action. In uh, the U.S., the mapping project that uh, basically maps all... It, it, it was started in Boston, um, but I hope to see it more... Uh, I hope to see it expand more nationally or even transnationally. Basically, what the mapping project does is that it's an interactive map that exposes institutions' ties to the Zionist uh, occupation. So police departments that are trained by the Israeli occupation forces, schools that are very heavily involved with the occupation, funding it or being funded by the occupation, groups, parties or organization, you know, all of those things, the mapping project exposes all of that. And so that I would say is one of is is a really good example of a stepping stone for direct action. So now we have all of these organizations mapped, right? But what do we do about it? Um, and that's where organizations that Palestine, like Palestine Action, come in to implement that direct action to stop those organizations from functioning, to shut them down, essentially. At the end, so yeah, those those two groups come to mind. Yeah, awesome. And obviously, you know, don't be coming on saying, oh, not, not everybody can do Palestine action, Shibi. You're being this, you're being that. Obviously, we know not everybody can do it. Certain people have got certain responsibilities, certain people ha- you know, don't have the physical ability. Oh, oh, we know this, but we're just saying if you're able-bodied and you've got the, you know, you haven't got flipping kids, so you got to look after 24 hours a day and that, you know, you can do it. So come, come and do it with us. I'll leave a, a message in the in the show notes i'll leave a note in the show notes i'll leave a link even in the show notes so you can come up and and, uh, join our palestine action workshop and if you if you actually can't do palestine action if you actually can't do direct action what you may be able to do is support it financially it does literally buy sledgehammers and ladders and crowbars to destroy these things or even fund getting actionists to a site you can also just share everything on social media like literally just move your thumb to a screen and you've liked it you've shared it it's like the least like so little effort but obviously it can expose us to a lot of people and help recruitment hugely Uh, showing up to the protest outside of the actual factories is one way to do it because you're not going to get arrested to that for that but as we know from oldham Kicking Elbert's Oldham factory out of Oldham was largely down to the constant community support. The community come out and got them out. It wasn't just the actionists, it was the constant protest as well. So they they were like as as important as each other in those roles. 
the mapping project again has got a huge potential it does seem to literally trace the dna um, of say the military industrial complex when it comes to israel and you are able to trace where everything goes where they come from where one part of one thing is developed where it goes to to become another thing where they go and yeah that's really that's really exploring the genetic code of this system that we need to annihilate destroy crush yeah. <laughs> yeah but so that's pretty much all the questions have you got any final thoughts or comments anything like that oh god um i can't think of anything right now um except find a way to do direct action wherever you are and yeah Palestine will be free. It will be. Hopefully within our lifetime. If not, within the next lifetime. Within the next generation's lifetime. But it will be free. One day, from the river to the sea, we're going to see a free Palestine. 100%. I believe that. Hell yeah. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's okay. I can add that there are many ways to be in community with people. And to, to, to be brought into the struggle. And also to join people in the struggle. Um... And be if you are in a position to financially fund groups like Palestine Action to pay people's bail, to 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 donate to mutual aid fundraisers, even that is one of the ways that you can be involved in direct action from where you are. You know, if you don't want to or you can't be physically there, you know, <laughs> shutting Elbit down, um, maybe you can get someone out of jail. You know. Absolutely. Uh, you can also attend court when actualists have got court. I've got court coming up soon. I've wanted to see other actualists in court, but I'm sorry I haven't come. It's because I'm poor. I can't afford to travel around the country. But if anybody does want to see and support me when I'm going to court, you're more than welcome. Palestine Action will share that. Hey, so thank you so much, Tyre. I've learned a lot. I've got a few things to think about. I hope you know I'm not a deeply academic person. You probably realise that, but I do hope that nevertheless this was a conversation that a lot of people can find easy to understand, informative, and to know that we've genuinely, uh, we've genuinely tried to bring out you know some of the most important issues. Mm -hmm. So where can people find you to support and follow your work in the future? Um, oh my God, I'm I'm on Twitter mostly. Um... So Tara, T-A-R-A-X, and then R-H. And my Instagram is linked there. And um, on Instagram, usually I do, um, I work with the, with the Gaza Mutual Aid Collective, where we do fundraisers for families on the ground, for medical needs, all necessities. Um, but yeah, for on a daily basis or whatever, I'm, sometimes I tweet really stupid things, but you know, every now and then there's some good political analysis <laughs> on my Twitter. <laughs> I was actually going to comment before you, you went that your Twitter does make me laugh. It's really good social commentary. You do, like, oppose machismoism and, like, sexism. You seem to, like, quote, tweet that and then, like, kind of, you know, make the person who said this, you know, derogatory comment look bad. And that's really good. We need people to obviously support, like, against that kind of abuse and you with your platform do that. And, and I think that's great. Um, I, I, it has made me think about, like, am I going to look like a creep if I like this tweet or something? It's made me think <laughs> twice about it. <laughs> so, but um, again, yeah, it's important. I'm glad. So, and also we, we connected through Twitter. So it's it's a really good platform to form these connections to um yeah. 
to even you know find texts to read find films to watch um i think with all of its faults and all of the just the hor the horrifying stuff that we see on twitter at the end of the day <laughs> if you follow the right people it's pretty fun and good <laughs> yeah i agree Okay, thank you. We'll love you and leave you. We always sign off, so I'll say it to everybody else. Don't use, forget, workers and lumpen of the world. Unite. Tara, thank you so much. So what I'll do is I'll edit this down as a video version for YouTube, but I'll, I'll clip it at certain bits. And um, same with the audio version, I'll uh, just add it into an MP3 and then upload it onto a public feed and Patreon. Um, if you do have any ideas for maybe the C, I've wanted to do this in the past, but if you have any ideas for audio clips that you maybe want to insert through the episode, I can do that. You just need to give me a resource mm -hmm. if it really helps, you know, add like an extra layer of. Uh, education or anything just let me know i've tried to do that in the past like i say but everybody speaks fucking arabic and we speak english so nobody understands anything oh i actually have a good uh george habash interview that i can send to you and it's where he says that zionism is fascism um so that's and he speaks in english um i will find it and send it to you okay yeah i found it should I send it here, like, or through email? No, you can just pop in the Discord, I'll get okay. it. Okay, I don't know how to do that. Um, <laughs> wait, I... Anyway, I don't use... Oh, Discord. I found it, okay. Here you go. <laughs> Bosh, thank you. Hey, I love and leave you. If there's anything you ever need from us at any point, please do not ever, ever hesitate, Tyler. Be happy to help in any way, shape, or form. Just let us know. Thank you so much for having me. Like, um, yeah, it was great talking to you. Would love to talk to you more. Maybe yeah, in the future. Yeah, do that again. Like I said, out. just like, I just seen all your base tweets and them for so long. And I was just like, fuck, how, how do I, it's like, it's never going to happen. I'm probably going to make a dumb tweet one day, get unfollowed and then blow the chance forever. Okay, boss, yeah, I'd love to have you back at um, some point. As for a subject, if you think I want sooner, I'm all ears, but if I think I want, I'll definitely let you know. Okay, for sure, yeah. Boss, love and solidarity, comrade, until next until time. Until next time, thank you so much. Little man never did exams, got a particular bigger plan Flipping grams when a bigger man in his gang gave him a stick to bang Or maybe just hokers, no one thought he would kill a man Till he caught a silly billy villain chilling in the jam Sipping champs, flipping his hand, triggered in a jam Bang bang, biddy bang, biddy biddy bang Now he's in the camp, the camp. what a pity fan Rappers are yapping and flapping their lips About how they're packing and clapping their sticks Has to be big, the impact it has on the kids Tell me where the factory is, the government killed it Just stacking their chips, you wonder why the youth Them are strapped and they're pissed, if not a nine it's a knife Getting jabbed in your roof, people die for the petrol and gas And I'll whip, in London, you can get shanked in the heart Still the government more text in a rock, ignorant little spitters are talking greasy Cause they've bitten bits that they saw on TV If all you rap about is the holes in the dope It's already too late, you sold them, you sold You jokers, act like you know but you don't Cause there's little kids that they used to be
sense. Squat fools act all backwards and blackpool big time pricks wanna kill our music bit by bit. Take a look at the six nine six is it Armageddon? Or the start of recession? The architect said we're far from the essence. We know the answers but aren't asking the questions. All the past lessons we can't just forget them. Sheep MPs are like weak MCs. Say they won't stop till we get free. Probably too busy playing on your PS3. Wanna 